Well, good morning. How about you uh, turn around and say hello to the folks around you. Wish them a happy and beautiful Sabbath day today. The weather is gorgeous today. So today, as I mentioned before Mass, we uh, begin a a five-part conversation about the story. History is a story, and oftentimes the story of those who have gone before us has much to teach us about our story, right? Their lives, the reality of their lives, has much to teach us about our lives. And this conversation today actually was uh, laid a foundation for last Sunday as we celebrated our 105th birthday here in the parish. Last Sunday, October the 8th of 19. 18, we were founded. The church was dedicated. And so last Sunday was our 105th birthday. And as we looked at the reality of the lives of the parishioners who were at the church dedication, uh, we learned lots. Just to remind you that the folks who founded this church in 1918, remember they were almost 25 years to the day from the great hurricane of 1893. That means, most likely, they were the survivors of the great storm of Chenier, which killed over half the community in that, um, just right before the island. Uh, interestingly enough, if you learn more about the founders of our parish, right in 1918, they were literally 33 days away from the end of World War I. We lost two souls, one from Chenier, one from the island uh, as a result of World War I who were fighting and defending our nation. 1918 was also only 11 years away from the Great Depression, 21 years away from World War II. That means the children that were at the church dedication of 1918 may have been in World War II. It may have been some of them who stormed Normandy or, or had to confront evil there. So when we learn the lo- from the lives of the founders of our church parish of 1918, uh, last week we said we learned that they, had, they, knew, they knew how to weather the storms. And so if we, if we understand what happens in our history, that's much to teach us today. So if you go with me to page 8 in the bulletin, page 8 in the bulletin, I want to remind you of the five parts of the story. Now, these five parts are not necessarily in a book anywhere, but they are in the mind and heart of one of our former legendary island historians. May he rest in peace, Mr. Russell Crosby. I had the privilege of first meeting Mr. Russell during Hurricane Zeta, and I stumbled into his house to say hello and introduce myself, thinking that I would be there for five minutes, and I walked out almost five hours later as uh, he shared with me the story. And Mr. Russell so eloquently said there's five chapters in the story of Grand Isle. Chapter one is the settling of the island. Chapter two is uh, the tales of the pirates. Chapter three, which is the longest chapter, is the story of the plantations and the resorts. Chapter four is the uh, beginning of the oil boom and all things humble oil. And of course, chapter five, he says, is the story of the outboard motor. That'll make a lot more sense when we get to that final part of the story. But if you look at on page eight, let's unpack the, the settling of the island. Right, so prior to the 1780s, what was happening on the island? Well, we have two, uh, we think we had two groups of Native Americans here on the island that occupied the island before colonization. 
Um, it seems from what we know from history, the French and the Spanish initially did not have much of an interest in Grand Isle when they first arrived. However, as they saw a route from Barataria Bay to New Orleans, Grand Isle and the surrounding area became a lot more advantageous for eventual settlement. If you look in the middle of page 8 there, it seems as if, um, as you look at 1700 historical maps, that there was a Fort Blanc on the western tip of Grand Terre uh, that preceded the other fort, Fort Livingston, that, 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 that followed it later on. Now, the Grand Isle eventually was formally settled in 1781. Uh, you, you can see that, that Jacques Rigo, uh, that's how I would pronounce it, Jacques Rigo received a land grant from uh, Governor Galvez in 1781. You can see the map at the bottom of page 8. He would have occupied um, the far uh, eastern part of the island. Eventually, by 1787, the island was distributed be between four land grants there. You can see the names of the families that are there. From what we can tell, those four families then almost immediately began to cultivate Grand Isle in, um, for, for crops, and uh, those were the four major plantations that emerged into the early 1800s. Now, that's a, a quick story of the island from the settlers. However, let's climb into the lives and the reality of, uh, of Jacques Rigaud, who arrives on the island in 1781. And what can his life and the circumstances that he faced teach us today? You're Jacques Rigaud and your family. You get to the island in 1781. What's the first problem you have? Drinking water. There's no fresh water on the island. Now, access to the island would have been a lot different, right? Back then, in the 1700s, coming out of pass would have been a ditch, if that. There was most likely a land bridge that was continuous all the way from Fouchon to Grand Isle. Uh, Russell Crosby, again, as I was in conversation with him, uh, was telling me the story of his grandmother remembering a black bear uh, meeting her as she was getting her laundry off the line one day. And I asked him, I said, how did a bear get on the island? And he says, well, they used to call Kamenata Pass a jump, the jump. You could literally jump over the ditch to get onto the island, and, and certainly animals would have been able to swim through that ditch or even just uh, crawl through the ditch to get to the island. So certainly access to and from what we call the island would have been uh, a little different back then. But there's no fresh water here. Now, they were savvy enough back then, they would have installed cisterns almost immediately. But the island in 1781 isn't the island we have now. Life itself is difficult. Let's imagine you move your whole family here in 1781. Jacques Rigaud and his family, they get here, they, they, they have enough fresh water for a couple days, they have to get fresh water, hoping that it rains at that point. Let's say you, you start to cultivate the earth, you start to put crops down, and all of a sudden you, you realize that there are things on the island that maybe weren't where you were before, different diseases that hit vegetation. You have to contend with the bears and other things that are here waiting for you on the island. And let's just imagine, what is it like for you to, to, to come and, and, and pave the way on the island? You work hard to kind of get crops off the ground, and then you deal with your first hurricane season uh, shortly after the turn of the 1800s. In 1781, 
when Jacques Rigo got here, it was not an easy settlement. The hardships of daily life would have perhaps been forgotten or eased after he had been here for several years. But the settlers who came to the island, those four families, would have faced a very difficult daily living than what we experience now. So let's just imagine that in 1781, Jacques Rigo and his family gets here, and all of a sudden it dawns on him that this is not going to be a piece of cake. It's a lot harder in the settling than it is in the living. Now, somewhere along the lines, whether he articulated this or knew this or not, there were three things that would have been part of his existence, his life in 1781. Number one, Jacques Rigo had to be present to where he was. Number two, he had to be patient. And number three, he had to find God with him in the midst of where he was. Let me say that again. Number one, he had to be present to where he was. In 1781, it's not 1801. It's not 20 years later. Sometimes when you go through something and it's harder than you think, sometimes we want to be somewhere else. We want it to be easier. We want to go back to when it was easier. But no matter where you are in life, you have to be there. We can't be somewhere else. And so in 1781, when he was here, he was confronted with the reality of settling an island. And that is not easy. And even though he may have wished it were easier, maybe he was thinking about the days when it would be easier, he's not there yet. He's got, he's, he is where he is. And sometimes in life you have to be where you are. Number two, in the midst of all those ordinary difficulties at the beginning, he had to be patient. And sometimes patience is difficult. We're going to unpack what that means in a second. And finally, he had to find God with him in the present moment. That's what we can learn from chapter one of the founding of the island, from Jacques Rigo and those three other families in the late 1780s. First thing we learn, you got to be where you are in life. This past week, we, this past Monday, I, I buried my uncle Alcide, my dad's brother. This is my, the third of my dad's siblings that I've buried in the last 15 months. That's a tough season to be in. But it's the only season my family can be in because that's where we are. This coming weekend, we, we celebrate my mom's 80th birthday. And this homily is going to be online, and I would never put out there for the whole world to see on the internet that my mom is about to be 80 years old, right? And we're celebrating that as a family, but we're going to celebrate that as a family with the sober reality of some difficulties within my family of late. That's where we are. On the other hand, this past Tuesday, as I was in that pre-construction meeting, I was very aware of what was happening in here in the meeting because I'm tired of a blue tarp on the outside of the church and I'm tired of looking at unfinished sheetrock right here and I'm tired of sheetrock that right there I'm tired of the rectory being uninsulated and it being 85 degrees in the rectory I've, 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 I've felt a frustration 
being in the season of, of hurricane relief and waiting. But that's where I am. I can't be anywhere else. Now, I know that one day this church is going to be uh, fixed and it'll be beautiful. And I know that one day it won't be 85 degrees in the summer in my house. I know that's going to happen one day, but I ain't there. I got to be where I am. And wherever you are in life right now, you, you can't be anywhere other than where you are. Now, we have to be patient sometimes with the season or space in life where we are. Look inside the bulletin on page 9. Look at the notes on page 9. Patience, point D. Middle bottom there on page 9. To be patient, we have to let go of the expectations of what should be or could be. If you're going to be patient, you have to let go of expectations of what should be or could be. I am not patient with LSU secondary. It drives me crazy. But I have to let go of expectations that Greg Brooks didn't get injured or didn't get, get diagnosed with cancer. I have to let go of expectations that they have different personnel. They only have the players they have. To be patient, you have to let go of expectations in life. You have to let go of expectations of how people are going to act, how you're going to act, what life is going to look like. Number two, to be patient... We have to be some, to be somewhere, we have to be with someone. To be somewhere, we have to be with someone. Say that with me. To be somewhere, we have to be with someone. One more time. To be somewhere, we have to be with someone. The only way I know how to be patient is to be with him. Because if not, I'm going to be so focused on the circumstances, and I'm going to want those circumstances to change, and all my energy is on the circumstances of life. The only way I know how to be patient is to be with someone. Because when I'm with him, okay, now I can rest. Now someone else is in control and I don't have to be in control. Right? So if you're in a season in life where it's hard, you're working on something, something's happening in your marriage, your family, your finances, your job, whatever it is, if it's hard to be patient with where you are, ask yourself where you're looking. Am I looking at him? Or am I looking at the circumstances in life? Third bullet. To be patient, one must have a certain way of thinking. We have to believe that there's something in the now that God is doing that we are learning in the now. To be patient, we have to see that the patient, the present moment has a purpose. I was thinking about this past week. I was thinking about... Wow, it's been two years plus and I've been waiting for something to happen with the the restoration of the church. And the Lord, Tuesday night, reminded me as I was looking back on the day, he said, Mark, don't you see all the things I've done in your life as you're waiting? I'm like, oh. So that means this time has a purpose. What makes it hard to be patient is when we think we're just waiting aimlessly. But when the waiting, huh, it has something to accomplish. I'm trying to learn something about life or about me. Okay, now there's a purpose. I can wait patiently because there's a purpose. And then that, of course, is what is, is going to help us find God. St. Paul, in the second reading today, he says, I know the secret. 
I know the secret of how to live in every circumstance. I can do all things in Him who strengthens me. That means what St. Paul is saying is that wherever you are in life, that's where God is. And it's not that like God is there and He's with you hanging out. Watch me. No, God is here. He's in me. And He's with me. If you are baptized, you have a very particular distinction. We call you a Christian. Which means that you are in Christ. A Christian. And if you're in Christ, that means that God wrapped His hand around you and says, I'm in you. Wherever you are in life, it's not like we're hunting for God around the corner. No, He's right here. He's in us. With us. Wherever you are, helping you be patient. That's the secret that St. Paul is talking about in the second reading. As we offer Mass today, uh, I'm going to offer Mass for Certainly the repose of the soul of my uncle I'll see, also Marty Sabal, who passed away and we buried on Friday. I want to offer Mass for all the souls of all those who have preceded us on the island. I'm going to offer Mass today for you. And maybe together we could all ask God today at Mass for the ability to be present to the present moment, to be where you are, wherever you are. Number two, to be patient as you're there. And number three, to find God with you. That's a secret that St. Paul talks about. That's a secret of living, to be where we are and to find God with us. Amen?